0: Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast. This is episode 028, Homer's Iliad, Book 8, Part 2. Last time we talked, we talked about the beginning of Book 8, uh, Zeus and his golden rope and what that could possibly mean and the claim that he made that were he to drop the rope down and all the other gods were to grab it from him or try to grab it and they tried to pull him, well, he wouldn't move an inch. But if he were to pull, he would pull them and the earth and the sea up and this chaos would replace order. And therefore, battle breaks out. And so death, uh, or rather Zeus, then again, he gets a lot of action in this book. He pulls out his golden scales, and the death day of the Achaeans hangs heavier. And so they're going to experience their first loss today. And in fact, Zeus is going to bring up later in an argument with Hera that they're going to do a whole lot more losing tomorrow, too, just to make her mad. And so, the Achaean champions scatter, remember, Adominius, the Iontes, Odysseus too. Nestor is uh, has his horse uh, brained by a, an arrow of Paris, Alexandros, and then Diomedes picks him up and then makes an attempt on the life of Hector and kills Hector's charioteer, Ineopius, instead. In fact, uh, one of uh, Hector's charioteers will be killed again today, his new one, Archiptolemus, and will be <laughs> replaced with Cabriones, And so uh to be uh hector's charioteer is something of a funny motif in this book something like being kenny from south park and so we'll see that rotating uh cast of clowns and so diomedes attempts to kill Hector comes close, doesn't quite get there. We said that that indicates that his aim is improving as a leader. And in fact, uh, or rather, his status is improving as a leader due to his increased capabilities and therefore his increased or uh, improved and augmented goals, particularly attempting to kill the champion of Troy, which is an Acheleian-level goal um, and an Aeas-level goal. But now Diomedes believes it's his level goal. And in fact, when Hector gives a rousing speech to the Trojans later on tonight, a victory speech, essentially perhaps the first victory speech they've had, um, he will mention Diomedes by name as the man that he wishes to kill. Not Aias, not Achilleus, but Diomedes, the son of Titius. And so, remarkable for Diomedes. And so as the battle goes on, Hera attempts to persuade Poseidon to help her. He says flat, no. Agamemnon then speaks from place of emotion, which makes Zeus, again, getting so much action in this book, uh, nod his head and assent, which means... That the men then approve of that which is uh, said by Agamemnon and fight all the harder even though they're going to have to mount a retreat as a loss. It's a graceful loss as far as Agamemnon is concerned. He's he's becoming the leader he ought to have been when Achilleus was with him. But now as necessity clings at the door he is improving, he is rising to the moment. And so Agamemnon then recognizes um, some legitimate competence because Tuchris takes out eight individuals and i think i read their names off to you and he will actually confirm later on in speaking to agamemnon that it is eight men that he killed um well agamemnon speaks from um he recognizes the legitimate competence of tucris and um says tucris i'll give you all these great gifts if we get out of this and tucris says do i look like i need encouragement but he doesn't say it quite with that connotation he says does it look he more more like i'm i'm killing it agamemnon don't worry about me and so, Teucris strains then to attempt to kill Hector, and in attempting to kill Hector, he shoots and kills his charioteer, his second charioteer, Architolomus. Remember, Eniopius was the first one. And Hector is saddened by this, but he, he's got to be getting used to it by now. And so his third uh, charioteer takes Mount Cabriones, and um, as uh, Hector goes by Tucris, Teucris strains to kill him again, but... Hector gets off a throw of a stone, and it's a nasty hit on Toucris. It hits him between the collarbone and the neck, which is that really soft part of your neck. Oh, ow. So, Toucris is messed up pretty bad. And so, not sure where I got cut off there, but Hector gets Toucris between the neck and the collarbone and the soft part of the neck, which is a very painful place to... Be hit by anything, especially a jagged rock. So Tugris goes down. Luckily, Ias the greater is his brother and or half brother. Um, they're both sons of um, of uh, Telamon, of course. And so um, Zeus then fills the Trojans with fury, which means that they're going to start uh, really feeling a strong drive towards success. They're going to they they've got the spirit in them. Right now and so he, hector is wearing the eyes of the gorgon what's the gorgon a gorgon is a mythological creature medusa is one of the three gorgons she got her two sisters turned into them too and uh they have snake heads and they turn men to stone by means of looking at them unless they can reflect the image of the medusa or the gorgon and therefore it is inoculated, which is essentially what a teacher does with students by teaching them stories rather than taking them on to an actual battlefield where they would be traumatized. But because they know about the horrors of war and that which exists in the world, perhaps when real, difficult, and malevolent things happen, they will not experience trauma, which is why, of course, Perseus can see Medusa and defeat Medusa or nature with the work of Art, the reflection, the reflection of what is the shield, which is of course given to him by Athena. So, what does it mean that Hector has the eyes of the Medusa uh, or the eyes of the Gorgon right now? Well, he, the Gorgon represents nature and its uh, ability to freeze one in its his tracks. So, Hector represents right now. Pure terror caused by full conscious realization of one's own mortality. And so, yeah, that's nature. And that's a very bad part of nature. And that's what everybody feels who sees Hector right now. So many Achaeans are fleeing, going back behind their wall. It's the first time they've ever had to do this. Usually the only times they would have gone behind their wall was to take uh, dead uh, dead men's armor back uh, to fill their they're tense with, essentially. So Hera attempts a second intervention. She now enlists the help of Athena. And this is, a, this is a rare instance of disobedience on the part of Athena. And actually, she's not going to get very far with it at all, indicating that uh, she's not really actually planning to disobey Zeus because the second he says no, she's going to jump right back to order. And, and so will Hera, too, frankly. So Hera and Athena get dressed up in their battle garb and it uh homer takes some time to describe this and athena even mentions helping heracles with cerberus in the underworld um she gives the story she says oh i wish my father would remember when i helped him uh by helping his son and heracles of all the mythological characters of old is mentioned the most in the iliad he's brought up constantly uh no other character from mythology is brought up as frequently as he is. And so this is what Athena says. Yet even this man would have his life and strength taken from him, dying under the hands of the Argives in his own country. But it is my father who is so furious in his heart of evil. He is hard and forever wicked. He crosses my high hopes, nor remembers at all those times I rescued his own son. Heracles. When the da- when the tasks of Eurystheus were too much for his strength, lines uh, 358 to 362 or so, and in fact Eurystheus we'll find out is related to Heracles through Zeus because um, Eurystheus and Her- and Heracles are both uh... and why I laugh there is that Eury- Eurystheus is actually descended from Zeus as well. He I, I believe he's the great grandson of him, so he's actually cousin to Heracles, but Heracles. Um, Well, in fact, how it comes to be within the world of the Iliad that Heracles had to serve Eurystheus and do his 12 labors for him, which he's most famous for, is precisely due to the conniving of Hera against Zeus. And so, occasionally Hera will get Zeus back, and Heracles is often mentioned here. So, Athena makes mention of the fact that she helped him on one of those 12 labors. Cerberus indicating that she was doing the will of Zeus at that time. But now she stands against Zeus and she feels fairly uncomfortable with this position. But don't worry, it will soon um, it will soon resolve itself. So let's keep moving. The goddess's arm and Zeus, seeing this from Mount Ida, where he frequently spends his time, sends Iris to stop them. And in fact, He tells he gives her some fairly specific instructions. For one, she says, Tell Hera, or rather, tell Athena, I'm very upset with her. But also, tell Hera, I'm not as upset with her, because I expect this sort of thing out of her. But, tell them if they get into that chariot and try and go down to the earth, I'll throw a thunderbolt at them, which they won't heal from for ten years. And so iris conveys that message down to hera and athena essentially word for word and something interesting about the messengers in the iliad is that they they do a very good job about uh quoting their lords word for word and so one might say that this is due to a rhetorical trick for uh, just simply remembering fewer words on the part of the poets uh the rhapsodes who kept this poem and that possibly it may also be saying however That the servants did not feel at liberty to attempt to interpret their lord's will and would simply report it accurately down to the next lord and then do the same thing back. And in an age without smartphones and uh, recording devices, that that actually seems like a fairly likely explanation as well. So Iris lets these ladies know, and so Hera says, "I can't, I can't go on. I can't keep fighting against Zeus." Athena, we can't stand up against him, which essentially ass- affirms Zeus's claim from early in the book, at the beginning of book 8, that he's so strong that nobody could dare oppose him, even if everybody worked together to do it. And so what does it mean that Athena, if she is the will of Zeus, implemented in reality and generally through the form of Odysseus, what does it mean that she is currently sort of at odds with Zeus? Well, this might mean that Zeus is sort of at odds with himself because he's the implement of fate. He he dis, he de, he does not necessarily determine fate, but he dispenses fate to others. He's a steward of fate. And so Troy is now fated to fall. But he loves Troy. He uh, they've never failed to sacrifice to him, which means they're great. And his favorite son of this generation. Heracles was his favorite son of the last generation, but I feel confident saying that Sarpedon is his favorite son in this generation. He loves him. He will cry blood tears and consider going against the gods and fate to save him in book 16. And so, Zeus Zeus has nothing personal against Troy and in fact has many reasons to bemoan its loss on a personal level but he's had to put that aside as the king of the gods because he always has to make the right choice and so perhaps athena is standing against her father right now in the same way that zeus's personal consciousness as an anthropomorphized version of the the dominance hierarchy well his personal consciousness is at odds with his more objective um kingly consciousness and so he understands what he has to do as master of the universe, but it doesn't mean he has to enjoy it. So Hera and Athena retreat back to Olympus, and there's an extended description of the hours, hours which comes from the word Horus, uh, from which we get Horosphere, uh, meaning limit or limit sphere, limit sphere of limit, one might say, and um, or horoscope, as well. And so the hours are the limits of our days. They are the definitions of our days. Definition as in definitem to close off or to complete, to end, to, to bring uh, framing and limit to. Um, one might say that's what all rules and laws do. They tether us to some limit which allows us some uh, creative expression. Otherwise there would be nothing. Similar to the dichotomies we mentioned earlier last time, between active forces and potential forces, and particularly the active intellect of Aristotle, and how it um, acts as, as a stamp upon the potential intellect, much as the sun does so for the earth, as Dante says in his Paradiso, in the sphere of the sun. And so, then we have a scene of Zeus arming his own chariot and coming down from Ida to Olympus to to entertain himself amidst the other gods and well what does he find most entertaining well taunting his daughter and his, his wife sister and in fact one thing that he ends up saying to them um, lines 8 55 to 56 is just a real threat he says for I will say straight out This is actually 454. And it would now be a thing accomplished. Once hidden your car by the lightning stroke, you could never have come back to Olympus, where is the place of the immortals. So, he really lays into these ladies saying, you almost messed up so bad. And so Hera responds, uh, Athena is sullen and quiet, as his will. And Hera, though, she speaks against him and says, what, have you, what sort of thing have you just said? We all know your strength, but yet even so we're sorrowful for the Danaan spearmen. So, uh, we'll keep out of fighting, but we'll help them with good counsel. And of course that's what is most important from those goddesses anyway, so they're still going to exercise influence in the most intelligent possible manner amongst the councils. Of their people. So, this is not something that one ever sees Ares or Aphrodite vying for with gods. One only ever sees lobbying done by the Achaean gods. One does see complaining and whining, however, from Ares and Aphrodite after they're injured in Book 5, but that's hardly the same thing. So, one last thing that Zeus makes sure to say to Hera, just to really rub it in even more. And I'm I'm thinking like rubbing something on an open wound because it's it's nasty as he says the one thing though is that if you if you had a problem with how well Hector was doing today and how many Achaeans he was killing, yeah. Well he's going to do even better tomorrow. And so, Zeus says, step aside, stand back, and just watch, because this is not going to be easy for you, nor is this going to be fun for you to watch, and there's nothing you can do. So perhaps he's sharing his own resentment at his own personal situation in this moment. Perhaps he's projecting his own situation onto her, because what can he do against the impending fate of one of his favorite cities, his favorite city, he says, and his favorite son? And so the book closes with Hector giving a rousing victory speech, as I mentioned earlier, a victory speech in which he says, it was only the nightfall that kept him from burning the ships of the Achaeans after breaking down their wall. And so it was okay, though, that night came because it was time for the feasting of the Trojans. And he says that tomorrow, in a boastful way, he'll make an attempt on... Diomedes in fact if I look at it right here he says now for the night this is 529 to 535 we shall keep watch on ourselves and tomorrow early before dawn shows shall arm ourselves and our weapons and beside their hollow vessels waken the the bitter war God and I shall know if the son of tedious strong Diomedes will force me back from the ships against the wall Or whether I shall cut him down with the bronze And take home the blooded war Spoils. Tomorrow He will learn his own strength If he can stand up to my spear's Advance. But sooner than this I think in the foremost He will go down under the stroke And many companions about him As the sun goes up into tomorrow So That was actually the line 538. So he suggests A beautiful morning sunrise With its red hues augmented by the blood of his now-enemy, Diomedes. Enemy only in the sense that he's his target for glory, not enemy in any personal sense. So actually, enemy is the wrong thing to say. He's not actually hostile to him in a personal way at all. He sees him more like a trophy and a potential trophy on his on his shelf. And so... The book ends with a beautiful description of the Trojans were burning between the waters of Xanthos and the ships before Ilion. Blazing watchfires. a thousand fires were burning there in the plain and beside each one sat fifty men, so that's fifty thousand men, in the flare of the blazing firelight and standing each beside his chariot, champing white barley and oats. The horses waited for the dawn to mount to her high place. And so the book ends with night and with a, an impending dawn. And so something is going to begin tomorrow, and it's going to be a fight, and it's going to be a major fight. And in fact, in book nine, we're going to see a major, um, a major strategic move made out of desperation From the Achaeans, they're going to choose to send an embassy to Achilles and beg him to come back and offer him everything he wants, except for, well, what he truly wants, which is something he doesn't even know at this moment. He wants clarity, you might say. He, and he can't get that from just receiving gifts back from Agamemnon, which does remind me of a, a quote that I heard once Alan Watts speak which was about the Buddha. It was a story of the Buddha, and I thought it was beautiful. And perhaps it's appropriate here about the situation, or as a description, an analogical description of the situation between Achilles and his own destiny, and Achilles and Agamemnon, and that's this. The Buddha was walking down a road one time, as he often did, alone, and he came upon a famous murderer, and the murderer glad to be killing this man, but honoring a certain sacred code, said, you may make one last request of me before I kill you. Pray. And so the Buddha said, okay, well, go over to that tree, please, and cut off a branch and bring it over here. And so the murderer, perhaps thinking this a fool, goes over to the tree, does so, cuts it off, brings it back to the Buddha and says, okay, well, you know, there it is. (laughs) And the Buddha says, okay, okay, but this is a two-part request, actually. And the murderer says, "Uh, okay. And the Buddha says, okay, now go reattach the branch. And supposedly in that moment, the murderer was converted and enlightened and saw the light. And so it's very easy to destroy things. But to put them back together again, that's true magic. That's truly divine, actually. And so this has been episode 27. Please share, like, subscribe, and have a great day!